Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including uh, guest Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He wrote a column called Americans to Democrats Get Lost. <laughs> so we'll look, look forward to getting his background on that, as well as Jim McTagg, uh, former Barron's uh, Washington bureau chief and author of several novels, uh, all written in sequence. His latest is No Problem. It is June the 20th, and on this day in 1782, Congress adopted the Great Seal of the United States after six years of discussion. The front of the seal depicted a bald eagle clutching an olive branch in its right talon and arrows in its left. On its breast appeared a shield marked with 13 vertical red and white stripes, topped by a bar of blue. The eagle's beak clutched a banner inscribed E Pluribus Unum, a Latin phrase meaning out of many one. Above the eagle's head, golden rays burst forth encircling 13 stars. Charles Thompson outlined the symbolic connotations of the seal's elements, which he presented his design to Congress. The bottom of the shield, or pale, represented the 13 states united in support of the blue bar at the top of the shield, which unites the whole and represents Congress. The motto E Pluribus Unum serves as a textual representation of the same relationship uh, the colors used to use the shield are the same as those in the flag, alternating red and white for an important balance between innocence and valor, topped by the blue of vigilance, perseverance, and justice. The eagle's talons hold symbols of Congress' power to make peace, the olive branch, and war, of course, the arrows. The constellation of uh, stars indicates that a new state is taking his, its place and rank among other sovereign powers. The reverse side of the seal bears the familiar Masonic motif of a pyramid, which Thompson proposed as a symbol of strength and duration. The pyramid, like the new nation, is unfinished and frequently depicted as having 13 steps for its original states. The disembodied eye floating above the structure is that of the Providence, which Thompson believed he had acted in favor of the American cause. Beneath the pyramid, the stars, the number 1776 appears in Roman numerals as a reminder of the year of independence. The phrase, Anuit Coptis, or Providence has favored our undertakings, appears above the providential eye, Novus Ordo Seculorum, a new order of ages, appears beneath the pyramid. Six years to develop that, that's our uh, national seal, the seal of the United States, uh, and there's the meaning. Uh, if you ever wondered about that. Uh, I hope you had a good Father's Day. It's important to remember that millions of young Americans who don't have dads in the house and who never had a male role model to look up to, more than 18.5 million children are fatherless, and the United States leads the entire world in that category. This is a record we surely do not aspire to and is clearly at least partly to blame for the dysfunction among today's youth. 
think not only having a father isn't a big deal, well, you'd be mistaken. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders, 85% come from fatherless homes, as do 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers. If you're lucky enough to have grown up with a father who taught you how to behave, how to put a worm on a hook, or how to ride a bike, how to be a good person, you know how important he was to you in your life. Even if your father wasn't perfect, in my opinion, you were better off than if you'd had no father at home at all. Imagine having uh, none of that, no male role model in your life. Actually, we don't have to imagine it. Just look at our inner cities where young men are shooting each other over in astronomical numbers every single weekend. Inner cities are largely populated by minorities, and in 2020, 80% of black children were being raised by a single parent, 80%, while more than half of Hispanic births were out of wedlock. <clears throat> Fathers are essential to a healthy society, and I hope our culture continues to honor them and promote the need for their role, because if you can see, the slow disappearance of fathers from U.S. life has ex- uh, exacted a painful price. I really appreciate the fact that our governor, Ron DeSantis, and the legislature, state legislature, is putting such an important uh, emphasis on families uh, and uh, the focal point of families, and uh, not only in child welfare and in other areas as well. Well, longtime county employee Amy Patterson will be the next Collier County manager. Uh, Collier County Commissioner voted unanimously on Thursday to choose Patterson as the successor to Mark Isaacson, who suddenly resigned last month. She'd be the first woman to hold the position since Collier County's created nearly uh, a century ago. Her career with the county began in 2000 in an entry-level position as a job bank employee in growth management department. Patterson, who later became a director of capital project planning and then took on deputy manager role in May 2021 after Isaacson enabled a new leadership structure that included two deputy county managers instead of one. During her presentation, Patterson listed five priorities she planned to tackle if chosen, uh, cultivating and employing, empowering county staff. Number two is developing sustainable policy. Enhancing community relationships is three. Safeguarding the public trust. And number four, number five, the preserving of the character of Collier County. It's great to see uh, people promoted from within, and uh, I'm sure she knows Collier County better than the other candidates, so congratulations. She was one of six. Uh, that was considered, and uh, she was the final choice. So we'll wish her the very best in her new career, Amy Patterson. President Biden, of course, you probably heard about this, fell off his bike Saturday during yet another long weekend at Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, his vacation home, along with his poll numbers, also continued to stumble. The 79-year-old commander-in-chief, Klutz, <laughs> dropped to the ground at 9.40 a.m. and was instantly swarmed by Secret Service agents who rushed to help him to his feet. I'm good, I'm good, insisted Biden, who said the unintentional dismount happened because a sneaker got stuck in the tow cage on the right pedal of his $599 Trek FX hybrid bike as he tried to dismount. Biden's really bad day uh, <laughs> began around 8.30 a.m. with a leisurely ride through Cape Henenlopen. Henlopen State Park amid a crowd of security agents. Who cares if Biden fell off his bike posted conservative filmmaker Denise D'Souza. I'm more worried about this demented lunatic driving America off a cliff. So true. By the way, (laughs) it's easy to get your toe caught in a clip, and uh, I certainly don't attribute that to his uh, mental state. It could happen to anybody. Happened to me. 
President Joe Biden's approval rating is down to the lowest in its presidency, as only 32 percent approve and 57 percent disapprove, according to the latest job approval rating on Saturday. Uh, While 11 percent of survey participants did not approve or disapprove, Biden's approval rating is underwater in 48 states, including typically dark blue California and his home state of Delaware, even. The only two states in which he has above water is Hawaii and Vermont. Only 20% of independent respondents said they approve of Biden, while 67% disapprove, and that's independents, while 13% have no opinion, have no idea what's going on, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Having been in office for over a year, this is the lowest approval rating Biden has received, and during his presidency, the country has been seen a supply chain crisis, record high inflation, a baby formula shortage, and botched Afghanistan withdrawal. Furthermore, his marquee legislative proposal, the $1.75 trillion Build Back Better Act, has been dead in the water for some time. The country has has recently seen a slew of record-high gas prices, up to $5 a gallon as well. So Joe's not doing so well. It's not going to bode well, I don't think, uh, for the midterm elections for the Democrats. The World Health Organization has admitted that the very lockdown policies it advocated for having been instrumental in a drastic increase in mental health issues on a global scale. In a report published on Friday, the World Health Organization claimed that anxiety and depression rose globally by a staggering 25% in the first year of the Chinese coronavirus lockdowns. That alone, in 25%, as a result, the report estimated that over 1 billion people worldwide are now suffering from mental health issues. Restrictions imposed during the COVID-19 pandemic, for example, have significant mental health consequences for many, including stress, anxiety, or depression, stemming from social isolation, disconnectedness, and uncertainty about the future. The WHO stated, the WHO not only was instrumental in spreading communist Chinese propaganda about the ability of the coronavirus to spread from human to human, but was also a keen supporter of lockdown policies in response to the virus which was inspired by Beijing's draconian reaction to the Wuhan virus. The Marxist chief of the WHO, the Tedros, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, I'll take it a try, Gibeisis, who came to power, let's just call him Tedros, despite never working as a medical doctor with the backing of Beijing, was an elderly and outspoken advocate of lockdowns and warned against lifting restrictions too soon, despite warnings from critics of the mental health implications. The report found that child sexual abuse and bullying were also chief contributors to the rise in depression, with younger age groups being particularly impacted by lockdown policies. Globally, there was a large, a greater change in prevalence among younger age groups than older ones, potentially reflecting the deep impact of school closures and social restrictions on youth mental health. For some children, the adolescents who've been uh, made to stay at home is likely to have increased uh, the risk of family stress or abuse, which are known risk factors for mental health problems, it added. The mental health issues facing children during lockdowns have been longstanding. A report from leading British UK universities in July of last year found that nearly five times as many children died of suicide compared to the virus, five times the the number compared to the virus during the first year of the lockdowns. That's just unacceptable. The risk of removal of children and people from their normal activities across education and social events may prove a greater risk than COVID itself. Well, I think that's absolutely true. I'd like to highlight at this point uh, 
Dr. Naomi Wolf's book, The Bodies of Others, has just completed it this week. It, it is a fantastic read. I think anybody, everybody should read this book because it outlines the horrors of what happened to us over this two years of the pandemic. It's totally unacceptable. And I think she, the way she writes this, uh, she's she grew up as a liberal. Uh, she got her PhD in poetry. She's a great writer, a really uh, captivating writer. And uh, she tells the story of what happened, but also the risks that we face with regard to the government taking these types of controls in emergency situations. It's something we should not allow to happen again. The Bodies of Others is the name of the book by Naomi, Naomi Wolf. The Bodies of Others. I hope you get a copy. Uh, by the way, who, it, it, which uh, makes sense actually to go to the... Uh, the uh, I can't see who uh, who pr printed this book, but uh, right now Amazon is uh, trying to mute the distribution of the book, unfortunately. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Do a terrific job, among other things, uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a multimedia, terrific website, good for kids of all ages. It's called historycentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, we've been talking about current world events for the last 15 years on the show every Monday morning. And I thought it'd be good to start off with a uh, update on what's happening in Ukraine. Okay, so the <clears throat> situation in Ukraine, it's coming to a slugfest where the Russians have put all, almost all of their forces in one particular area. Um, and they've made very, very, very slow progress in that one area. They really have not been able to to defeat the, the Ukrainians in, with all of their forces in one place. And interestingly enough, the Ukrainian Air Force has been able to attack the Russians as well, which means the Ukrainians, the Russians do not have control of the air, something that continues to amaze everybody. Wow. The problem with, uh, problem, the problem is there's a war going on, but one of the, I don't know if it's really a surprise, but it, it's a serious issue that all countries are going to have to look into at this point, is the amount of ammunition that's being consumed during this war. In other words, the amount of artillery fire um, that gets consumed in, in, in a week and a half in the war is greater than the U.S. production capability in a year. Wow. And so this is something that we all have to, you know, think again about. I mean, part of, part of it was no one ever thought there was going to be a large-scale conventional war ever again. Right. And so people built their armies based on that, but obviously that assumption was wrong. And so... Serious thought has to be, be given to all of these matters, the fact that consumables get used at such a tremendous pace um, that um, we really have to re re rethink all of that. And, you know, one of the big problems, and I think I've mentioned this before, one of my great concerns is the fact that the U.S. arms industry is basically a cartel of two companies. Yeah. And that's the real problem. Yeah. You know, I really think that the, the Pentagon, whoever was, Sleeping at the wheel, being paid off, I don't know which, you know, you can look at any different different scenario, but the fact that they allowed all these companies to merge together makes it much more difficult, because when you had four or five companies, they would compete, they would maintain their production facilities to some extent, and you had those op options. Now with two companies, I mean, in the United States, you have overseas companies, you know, also, but still. Yeah, it, it, it's a real problem, I think. Yeah, absolutely, the fix is in in that regard, but that that's a lot, that's a lot, uh, loss of property and uh, material goods, but also the loss of life right now. I think we're over 10,000 casualties in Ukraine alone, just the Ukrainians. Uh, is there any hope of a, a ceasefire at this point? I don't think so. There's no sign of a ceasefire at all. Hmm. Putin seems determined to keep on going, um, and the Ukrainians are certainly not going to give in after the sacrifice they've done and also the atrocities the Russians have committed. I mean, at this point, the Russian army... Other than the fact they don't seem to hate the Jews, seems to be like the Nazi army. To such a large extent, they're moving people, they're physically moving people into Russia after tre trekking on them, they're, they're taking away kids, all sorts of things that sound so much like the Nazis, except it's aimed at Ukrainians and not Jews and gypsies and 
homopho- you know, homosexuals, basically. Yeah, and as things um, continue, just they, they seem to move away from uh, Russia's objectives. As I understand it right now, that there's a favorable consideration of including Ukraine in the EU. Right. The initial view is to include them. It looks like they will be approved. Also, it looks at this point like the issues of, around Sweden and Finland that the Turks have raised are also being resolved. So Turkey and Finland, excuse me, um, Finland and um, Sweden will be joining NATO. Ukraine will be joining the EU. You know, the total opposite of what um, of what Putin wanted. And look, I think they captured some intelligence information that basically Putin thought he'd been to war in 12 hours. Yeah. And he was wrong. Yeah. Um, but instead, he's, you know, he's taken this terrible toll to people. It's just unbelievable the amount of people who are dying because this man, I don't say he's nuts, but obsessed with uh, with greater Russia. Well, the other side and, to it, too, is, is that my understanding is that if, in fact, he doesn't win or if this uh, continues to go south on him, he's no longer going to be in power. In other words, he'll lose his position, if not his life. Very possibly. I mean, again, one of those things we just don't know enough about is, is what's going on in the Kremlin. But clearly, he seem, he believes that he has to win this. But he really has no path that makes any sense to victory. In other mm-hmm. words, uh, again, we don't know. But if, if I had a bet, the most likely scenario that I see coming in the next six weeks is a collapse of the Russian forces. Because mm-hmm. they really, you know, the Ukrainians, A, of course, are fighting for for their land and for their people. The, the Russians have no idea what they're fighting for. Right. And second of all, uh, despite the limitations, like I mentioned before, of the, the ability to produce enough artillery shells and everything else, the Ukrainians are getting aid from everywhere. Is it, you know, every single day, as far, as far away as this morning, planes landed from Australia bringing um, armored fighting vehicles from Australia who sent them to Ukraine. Um, and, of course, we're sending a tremendous amount of armaments to Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and the Russians don't have the equivalent. And they can't produce their own uh, new weapons at this point because they can't get the chips for the precision precision munitions. They're using old-fashioned World War II stock, practically. Hmm. Well, we'll see how this all resolves. It's uh, it's not going to end well, I don't it's think. It's not going to resolve. You know, it's to, you know, we all thought it was going to resolve quickly yeah. in one form or another. I don't think any of us thought it would be four months later and we'd see no end in sight. Yeah. Well, let's move uh, to a different part of the world right now. We've uh, had elections now in Colombia. Uh, it's a little bit of a surprise that a former rebel ended up uh, winning uh, the Colombian... Uh... Well, it's, it's a little bit surprised, and then we shouldn't be surprised. Colombia has had long-term economic problems. Uh, the conservatives who've been in power for the last decades have not solved the problems. I'm not sure the problems are easily solved. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when people have long-term economic problems that continue, they say, okay, let's give the other guys a chance. Yeah. Maybe the other approach is the right approach. So you had a businessman running against a former rebel, and the businessman represented the current establishment. The rebel represented a change, uh, more social welfare, all those other type of things. And I think we shouldn't be surprised that... Um, you know, people want, you know, let me, let, let's go, let's make a step back. I think everywhere in the world, it's good to have governmental change after four, six, eight, ten years, whatever period of time, but keeping the same government, and I don't mean the same president, because you can change presidents and still have the same government, or yeah. the same prime minister, and, you know, 
But changing, getting, getting the other party in power, the ones who are out in, in, is healthy. Yeah. So Colombia used to be a, a source of tremendous drug trade, and uh, we, uh, so uh, has that uh, now has Mexico replaced Colombia in that regard? Mexico is still is number one at this point, <coughs> and there's less. There's still drug trade coming from Colombia. There's no, there's no getting around it. But there's still drug trade. But it is, Mexico is probably number one at this point. Yeah. And domestically produced stuff also. So yeah. So uh, it's, there's another, uh, and I hadn't planned on bringing this up, but the, there's apparently uh, right now a collapse of the government in Israel, and for our listeners' benefit, uh, Mark is in Tel Aviv right now and has been there for months. So uh, what's happening in that regard? Okay, it hasn't quite collapsed yet. That's the big question, will it collapse this week or not? Um, it's complicated, and uh, one of the reasons I haven't even written about it for Newsweek is because it's so complicated. Um, the, the issue really is the, the government was a, is a very thin-margin government made up of a wide variety of ideologies. It goes from a relatively far-right party to a party um, uh, the, to a party that includes uh, an Arab party. Let's yeah. put it that way. So, a, a wide range of parties. They were held together by their belief in good government. They were held together by their belief in um, in um, not having Netanyahu back as prime minister. But one of the strange things of the Israeli parliamentary system is that. Even though when I go to vote or someone goes to vote, they vote for a list, right? There's a list of of ten, of basically up to 120 candidates. Theoretically, that's the number of seats in the in the parliament. But you vote for a list and you vote for a party. Uh-huh. And so the party gets elected, and the first, let's say, you get 20 percent. So the first uh, 25 people in, in the, on your list goes into becomes a member of the Knesset. The strange thing in the Israeli system is that those individual Knesset members can decide at some point that they're going to change parties or leave the leave the supporting government and move to the other party because they don't like the ideology huh. or heaven forbid they're being bribed in some way or whatever it is. Yeah. And so this government has had um two and now maybe three people from the, one of the right-wing parties decide that they're not willing to continue with the, particularly with the Arab parties as part of it and the end result is the government is on the edge of uh, edge of potentially falling, um, it's not quite clear, um, but it's it's not unlikely at this point that it might happen this week. It won't happen immediately, even if there's a vote to do it. It could take as much as a month. Uh, President Biden is coming in July, and I think they'll try to keep it together until then. But who knows? Yeah. So, and I also read that uh, Netanyahu. There's a possibility that he could come back into power. Uh, what are your thoughts? It's possible. He really doesn't have a clear path. Um, one of the things this government was going to do was going to pass a law, which they didn't, um, which was going to be that someone who's been indicted uh, can't run to become a prime minister. They did not pass that law. And so he's definitely a possibility. Uh, it's more likely there's going to be new elections, and then anything anything can happen. If there's yeah. new elections, then, like I said, any any number of possibilities could could, could, could take place. Um, the country is pretty fifty-fifty split, so it's that's why there were three elections and no and and no majority vote at any point until yeah. they put together this unlikely coalition. But most people, it's a strange sort of thing because 
there are most people who are looking from the side, neutral observers, think that Prime Minister Bennett is doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, but he has no charisma. I mean, there's all, there are parallels between him and, let's say, President Biden, who has no charisma. And the two of them, you can argue, you know, on individual policies, but generally they've been doing an okay job. But then none of neither of them are popular at all because they don't have that leadership. You know, charisma is such an important factor. Yeah. In politics and leadership. Yeah. And if you think about all the all of our popular presidents, they all had a great deal of of charisma, leaving aside whether their policies were good or bad. So what what about uh, Netanyahu's legal problems right now? Where does that stand? It's the, the case is going on. The cases in, in Israel take forever. The trial could take a year or two. I mean, it's a very strange situation. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, they don't. the court doesn't meet every day. This week they're meet, not going to meet at all because one of the judges has, has corona, actually. Um, but... Um, Generally speaking, it just takes forever. They had a, one of the prime witnesses was against Netanyahu. He uh, testified first for probably a, ten days of testimony on, on the side of the prosecution. And the defense lawyers have been cross-examining him for three weeks now. Huh. I mean, can you imagine an American trial, <laughs> uh, one witness for four weeks? It's unheard of. Yeah. It's so interesting. So it's going to take forever. So, so this, tr- this trial could last at least another year, year and a half, and then there's an appeal, and then an appeal to the appeal. So, who knows? Uh, so, what that leads me to believe, uh, what I'm making up in my mind, is that people could just lose interest in that becoming a factor in terms of Netanyahu. So, yes, I mean, look, the people who, the people who dislike Netanyahu won't stand from being prime minister again. The people who love him still love him, and you know, you can see some similarities, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, love, love is love is blind. What can I say? Absolutely. So uh, let's move to France and the elections that happened there. Big surprise. I think that was a surprise, anyhow. It was a bit of a surprise. It wasn't a complete surprise. I mean, there were some indications. I mean, what happened was first of all, Macron lost his majority, and the big gainers were the far right, uh, far right party. Uh, we should, but uh, led by Le Pen, we shouldn't be totally surprised because, after all, they did get 38 percent of the vote in the presidential election. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason not to think they would get at least a significant or much greater percent of the vote in this election. Macron's great failure um, is he came into office saying he was going to create a great center, enough of the far right and enough of the far left. The Irish Frenchman is a centrist and doesn't want the far right and doesn't want the far left. And the end result, though, is both the far right and the far left have been strengthened during his term, although he does have a party in in a center that's not small. But, you know, we can see the same thing in the United States and and other places. It's very hard to create a strong centrist party because I think more than anything else when I look at it, uh, extremist views, or even less than extremist, but but views um, that are uh, that are, are on on the edges, people feel much stronger about them. Yeah, you know, Mark, and, I, and, I must say that uh, to me, I I looked at just briefly, but I looked at some of the things that Macron was fighting for, like pension reform, like lowering taxes. I said, my goodness, this sounds like a pretty darn good agenda, uh, and I just it's surprising to me that it doesn't have support. Well, it does have some support, but some of the other items that she, you know, she she's been also been very much anti-immigrant. Um, 
you know, previously her father had been an anti-Semite. She claims not to be, so who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she represents, and of course, the other issue with her is she received a lot of funding initially from Putin. Remember that a lot of parties on the extremes have received support and other things from Putin, not necessarily because he agrees with their policies, but because it's been good for him to create um, chaos to some extent, right? In other words, he'd rather see the French divided amongst themselves than united. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my view of why he also interfered in the American elections. Not so much he agrees or disagrees with a particular candidate, but he likes strife. Yeah. And strife is good for him. It theoretically weakens weakens his enemies. And so he's supported parties that bring about um, views that, that, that create instability, strife, disagreements, and everything else like that. So, Mark, she before, was one of them. She got a lot of support. Before I let you go, I would like to just get your thoughts and update on what's happened with regard to the, the virus uh, worldwide p- uh, pandemic. Well, you know, it's a strange thing. The virus has not disappeared, and in the United States, um, actually here in Israel as well, the number of hospitalizations has, have gone up. Um, the number of cases also has gone up, but people aren't testing the same way anymore. So we really don't, we don't really know where we stand anywhere in the, I don't say anywhere, I'm sure the Chinese know where they stand, but in the United States, in Israel, and most of Western Europe, because testing isn't being done on a central basis, we don't really know the exact, you know, how many people are getting, uh, getting the virus. What we do know is hospitalizations in the last Three to four weeks have started to go up in the last week, particularly, um, both in the United States and in Israel. A number of deaths have started to rise. It seems to be this B B five version of the virus seems um, to be even more uh, more transmittable. Hmm. Now, it also may or may not be as lethal. Um, it does seem to be a milder version of the virus, but some people it hits hard. In other words, whether it's Unvaccinated people who haven't been adapted. You know, we don't we don't know exactly why at this point, mm-hmm. but obviously the fact that the deaths are rising does say something. On the other hand, for good or bad, we're all ignoring it. Well, I would say right? I would words, say uh, one of the things that, that concerns me politically is the fact that many uh, countries are not letting go of the emergency declaration, and that includes the United States right now. So, in other words, that uh, it, it would be easy to go to call back, go into lockdowns, go into all kinds of things that are, I think will have been proven to be really uh, detrimental to society. Um, yes. Um, uh, I'm not sure how many countries don't have have allowed their emergency things to um, to lapse. I know Hungary has not. They made sure they're still in 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 place, and they're using it actually for other purposes. Yeah, Canada, um, U.S. Uh, Canada, I think they've they've lapsed. But uh, look, it's one of these things, right? That we, none of us expected that we'd live through a period of a pandemic. Um, Obviously, the pandemic is deadly. It's killed worldwide probably 5 million people, actually even more than that, 6 million people at least, and, and growing. In the United States, a million people, over a million people were killed by, by it. Um, we want to forget it, and we want it to go away, and we want it to be a, just a common cold. And maybe that's what it'll end up being, just another common cold. Yeah. On the other hand, it has the last word, I'm afraid, so... You know, we we need to remain somewhat vigilant. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that that's and, fair. That's fair, Mark. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I encourage you to visit 
HistoryCenter.com. Again, good for kids of all ages. Makes it fun. And uh, again, uh, if a young person in your life, introduce them to HistoryCenter.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great week. You as well. Thanks, Mark. All right, coming up, uh, man, Mark and I don't always see eye to eye. In fact, we uh, the closer we get to the United States shores, the, the he's more liberal, of course, and I'm more libertarian and conservative, uh, but irrespective. Brings us a real treasure trove of information on a weekly basis, and I appreciate that. All right, coming up, uh, Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, Medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com, or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are a private, nonprofit organization, educational in nature. We're headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, and our focus is on high school and college students. We try to educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, private enterprise, and personal character. We do that through our uh, website, which is fee, F-E-E, dot org, where you'll find daily fresh commentary, 
lots of free videos and courses and news about upcoming events. Great organization. I've been to national conferences for the Foundation for Economic Education. So impressed to see the enthusiasm of young people getting excited about conservative ideas, about liberty, about taking personal responsibility. Please visit the website and introduce anybody in your life in high school or college age to the website fee.org. Larry, you wrote a great piece, which I totally agree with, but I think it's so interesting. <laughs> America to Democrats, colon, get lost. <laughs> Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. I think that's the message that uh, Democrats are going to get in uh, November. I'm not the only person forecasting a red wave, yeah. uh, but I think it's going to be bigger than uh, most analysts right now are suggesting. I I have uh, stuck my neck out and predicted that Republicans will gain some 75 seats or more in the House and will pick up control of the Senate by a margin of at least 53 to 47. Uh, Now, that would be uh, quite uh, substantial. There have been some other uh, huge party shifts bigger than that in America's past, but you have to go back quite a ways uh, to find something of that uh, uh, that huge uh, a, uh, an effect. But uh, I just think the mood of the voters right now is pretty sour on the incumbent party, and that's for good reason. It's done nothing of consequence uh, right. Yeah, in fact, uh, it's, it's been very detrimental to uh, uh, people's pocketbooks and to just a, just a, and based on, quite frankly, on things that I think are made up. In other words, there's no facts behind to support yeah. this whole climate change nonsense and all the things. The very predicate for what for the inflation that we have right now is a, a fabrication, in my opinion. Yeah, you hear the president himself go on television assuring everybody that uh, things are fine, under control, they're working on it, blah, 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 you know, uh, and we're all looking at each other saying, what? I mean, does he ever get out of the uh, White House? Does he ever get into a grocery store yeah. or a gas station? I mean, it's like uh, he's living on a different planet. It's it's so true. But uh, what I appreciate is you've uh, taken a good historical perspective on this, and it's not always the Democrats, is it? Uh, No, no. There have been some times when Republicans got uh, wiped out, and for good reason. Uh, There was a case in 1890 and 94, uh, four years apart, where you had two huge uh, shifts at polls in terms of uh, uh, who controlled the Congress in the end. Uh, In 1890, you had the incumbent president, a Republican, um, Benjamin Harrison, who led a party at that time that was itching to spend. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had what uh, Americans uh, began to call the Billion Dollar Congress uh, in 1890. It was the first time in American history that the Congress spent a billion dollars in a two-year period. And to Americans of the day, that was outrageous. So they turned out, uh, turned Republicans out of office uh, in huge numbers in the November 1890 midterms. Democrats won 235 seats in the House, and Republicans only 88. Wow. Which, uh, yeah. That's a wipeout. Four years later, the shoe was on the other foot, and uh, Republicans ousted Democrats in the midst of a depression, and they ended up uh, uh, with uh, massive numbers uh, way ahead of the Republicans then. Yeah, so I think there's something to say in your uh, columns. Uh, Americans to Democrats get lost. You're not saying vote Republican, though, are you? 
No, I want to leave that to individuals. I, I don't like to tell people how to vote. Uh, but I, uh, I did want to tell them in this column how I think they should not vote mm-hmm. <laughs> because I felt so strongly about this. Uh, I just have never seen an administration uh, and a party so out of touch with mainstream America and doing such tremendous harm to the country and uh, doing so completely oblivious to the long-term consequences. I, I think the uh, that deserves a complete uh, route and repudiation in November. Right. So you say um, a pickup of 75 seats. As I understand it now, uh, with everything that's happened, there's about a four-seat four lead lead for the Democrats in uh, the House of Representatives. That would mean a, 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 we'd be up to about 70. I'm going to say we, I being conservative, will have a 70%, a 70-seat majority, if in fact you're correct about that. What are your thoughts on the Senate? Well, I think the Senate will go Republican, uh, and my projection is that Republicans will end up with 53 seats uh, to the Democrats' 47 when the dust clears in November. And, you know, considering that uh, there are more uh, Republican seats up than there are Democrats, I believe, this year, uh, that would be a substantial and important gain. Indeed it would. Again, Larry Reed, the president emeritus, of the Foundation for Economic Education. I encourage you to visit fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of several novels. Uh, he's also written non he's written uh, uh, non-fictional uh, uh, work as well, but his latest three are Follow the Leader, Shake the Money Tree, and uh, as well as his latest novel, uh, No Problem. They're, one's a sequel of the other, so uh, I think he, you'd enjoy the novels. I hope you get a copy of them. They're really good reading. And we're all located in Washington, D.C., which is where I grew up, so I especially enjoy them myself. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater. At its very best, you can get tickets now. By the way, building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. Absolutely beautiful. The design of it is just really tremendous. You need to check it out. Get tickets. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTague, as I mentioned before the break. He's a former Barron's Washington bureau chief. He's also the author of several books. His latest three are uh, Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, No Problem, all great murder mystery reads. I hope you get a copy of them. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jim. So what's on your mind right now? There's a lot going on, and I'm thinking, well, there's a lot going on with regard to uh, uh, the economy, and that's one of the areas of your specialty. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I've been uh, wondering about the uh, direction of the economy by the Fed's low interest rates, which uh, the Fed began cutting rates back in September 2000. And so for almost 15 years, we had near zero rates. Right. And, so, and suddenly, the Fed is raising rates. Now, during that 15-year period, with the artificially low rates, a lot of capital was misaligned. A lot of marginal businesses were kept afloat by, by the low rates and later by, by the COVID programs, like the Paycheck Protection Act. So, uh, so we had capital going to uh, unpromising enterprises, and that damages the really good enterprises. You know, you know, it it, it limits uh, the, the the investment in them. So now that interest rates are going up, I think a lot of these marginal companies are going to collapse. Now, it's common sense. Generally, in every recession, you have a big increase in bankruptcies. You know, you can look at the uh, the data from the American Bankruptcy Institute or the American Bar Association. It's just common sense. It's a coincident uh, indicator. So far, uh, bankruptcies have not risen uh, that high. Uh, but I think we, we are going to have a cascade, because, because and, and it's an unknown. But the Fed has so distorted the economy with these artificially low rates. Uh, we see what's happening first in the stock market. As, as you, you know, as the stocks deflate, they were pumped up by the Fed. So uh, we're going to see, in my view, uh, a lot, an unusual amount of bankruptcies, large displacement of workers, tremendous pain over a period of maybe two to five years. Hmm. In the long run, it will be healthy for the economy because then capital should should be reallocated to the more robust companies. But in the interim, it's just going to be miserable. 
um, you know, if the Democrats think they have it bad coming up on the midterm election with uh, the public's uh, unhappiness about inflation, it's going to be worse uh, during the presidential campaign. You know, and uh, if that happens, and uh, I suspect all the evidence that you're pointing out is absolutely true, it would not be surprising if, they, if it does occur. Uh, right now, we've uh, just to post-pandemic in the last couple of years, we've seen a number of small businesses close because of government intervention, things like uh, lockdowns, closing your restaurants, you can't eat, eat indoors, masking, all those types of things. But in addition to that, how about these moratoriums on rents, putting the small uh, business owner, the small rental owner, really out of business? They end up selling their rentals because they can't afford to carry them because they're not receiving income another big problem with the country. I mean, we do not have capitalism in the United States. We have crony capitalism. Crony capitalism is uh, businessmen who use the politics, government, and regulation to protect their own interests. Right. And it's just gotten out of hand in this country. We, have, we do have a uh, powerful, protected class. I mean, you can see crony capitalism at work in what I call the great green bamboozle you know, this attempt to transition us to green energy well in advance of, of a proper infrastructure. You, yeah. you know, it's, you know, ideally everybody on paper, everybody would like to have an electric car. Uh, but in reality, it would be a disaster for the country. Yeah. It, it, take a look at what's happened to, to uh, for example, BlackRock, I believe, has come in and, and bought up a number of rental properties. Some of them very large, but uh, also, as I understand it, they're even buying single-family homes uh, and you know paying top price, whatever. But they're they're just planning for the fact that we're seeing a lot of inflation, and that's going to result in increased rents, and uh, it's putting the little guy out of business. Uh, yeah, it, I mean BlackRock's a perfect example of crony capitalism at work. So, so the um, I think the situation looks dire for for uh, Democrats in the years ahead. Uh, something else I'm predicting, and I'm basing this on what I see in Europe, you know, we're going to have social unrest engendered by inflation and recession mm-hmm. here in the United States and in Europe. I mean, I mean, the Russian-Ukraine war has so disrupted the flow of energy to Europe <clears throat> that uh, People in Europe are really going to have to sacrifice. You know, the Germans already are um, beginning to ration gasoline. Um, Well, I think what we need in this country is a wartime president, somebody to rally the American public and say two things. Look, we're going to have to bite the bullet a little bit to aid our allies in Europe because they they desperately need need fuel. And, and the other thing is, hey, greenies, uh, we have to drill, baby drill. We have to be the arsenal for democracy again. And that includes fuel supplies to our allies in Europe. And we just don't have that kind of leadership in Washington. I mean, uh, you know, the perfect symbolism is Biden falling off a stationary bike. <laughs> well, and, and further... Couldn't ask for better imagery. And since he uh, sends a letter to uh, to uh, uh, CEOs of energy companies saying that, uh, you know, you, you you guys are greedy and you're going to have to start changing your ways and you have to start uh, cutting your profits in order to accommodate the American people. Well, what kind of leadership is that? I mean, Jim, 
if you understand uh, how things work, you go to these people and say, look, can, let's see if we can't find a win-win here. You guys, I understand, need to make profits. You need to take care of your shareholders. We need energy. Let's, let's see if we can't work together on this. Unfortunately, I think, though, he's so ideologically uh, aligned that he doesn't – the conversation would lead to areas he's not willing to support. Yeah, his are weasel words trying to win, uh, desperate to win votes from the public and to create a straw man as, as uh, the uh, villain. Uh, but the, the real villain is the leadership vacuum in Washington. Again, we are technically a nation at war, and the American public will respond positively and virtuously to a, to a clear-headed, honest leader. And we just don't have that leadership in Washington. No. Uh, so, Jim, you know, you are uh, following the markets, of course, as Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and certainly informed on that. We're seeing right now, well, futures are up nicely today, but we've had a heck of a week. Uh, markets have cratered. What are your thoughts? Where is this all going? Well, well my prediction based on a, on a uh, sloppy model is that we could see the S&P go down to 2700 Um it's about 3,600 now. I've seen a forecast from Bank of America, which is pretty good, and uh, they see it going down to 3,000 between now and October. So uh, I see a small melt-up in, in advance of the election. I thought it would be a big melt-up because generally before an election, politicians spend money to buy votes. But right. this time around, the public realizes that Biden created inflation with his uh, 1.9 trillion in spending, so politicians are going to be shy about doling out the cash. So a uh, slight melt up, but I really do think we're going to be see the S and P at 3,000 or lower. Oh wow! I I anticipated some sort of a a build up in the market up leading up to the elections, but then a sell off afterwards. You don't think that'll be the case, huh? Well, no, I I do see a small buildup, but I, it's less robust than I originally anticipated. Again, because I think politicians will be too shy about fiscal stimulus, uh, owing to what uh, Biden has done to the economy. Yeah, so interesting. Jim McTagg again, author. I encourage you to take a look at these uh, three great novels. Uh, Follow the leader. Uh, Shake the Money Tree, and uh, No Problem is the, uh, the is the name of his last novel by Jim McTagg, M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, uh, tell your friends. Uh, you know, I like to support our advertisers because they're so grateful for the, what they do in supporting the show. So uh, that's one of the ways we can support them is tell your friends if you enjoy the show and you find it entertaining. Also, appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. We have great guests for tomorrow's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator and soon-to-be Senate president, uh, the Florida state president, Senate president. Boo Mortensen will be joining us as well from Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And my wife, Linda, will join us for a segment. We'll be talking about what's happening locally as well as internationally. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.